see a slight sort of drop of the shoulders. <laughs> We've got to chapter 11 uh, in our series on Nehemiah, but sometimes it pays, doesn't it, just to spend a bit of longer time just uh, reading these uh, passages rather than just sort of skipping on to the next topic. Uh, so just by way of background, as by way of refreshment, in case you haven't already realised the story, Nehemiah was the great reformer who rallied the Jewish people to repair the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down in the Babylonian destruction of 586 BC. And although the theme of rebuilding Jerusalem's wall uh, is often connected with the book of Nehemiah, you also need to understand that the wall has symbolism about it because symbolically it also represents the community of God's people. The wall creates their identity because by it they are protected and interlinked. So a careful reading of the book of Nehemiah reveals even more important tasks than rebuilding the Jerusalem city wall and that was to rebuild the people. The people of God. In Nehemiah 2, verse 17, we read, Then I said to them, You see the bad situation that we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may longer be a reproach. So Nehemiah's rebuilding of the city began with its walls, a project, of course, that was resisted by hostile neighbours who had occupied the areas around Jerusalem in the Jews' absence whilst they'd been away in exile. And with tools in one hand and weapons in the other, Nehemiah's workmen toiled dawn to dusk, completing the wall in a record 52 days. And we're not just talking here about the work of a few brickies. I mean, these stones are massive stones. They weigh tons. They probably didn't use mortar, they were probably finely chiselled and slid into place, so they literally butted each other. Ask Andy if you need to know about engineering and how they managed it, I don't know. But presumably they had simple block and pulley systems, uh, but possibly no health and safety. <laughs> so there may have been a few lost fingers and probably a few deaths, from, but there you go. They did it in a record 52 days. Nehemiah chapter 11 tells us a lot about commitment and getting out of our comfort zones. Now we all love our comfort zones, don't we? We all love that feeling of that safety blanket that we like to cling on to. And so it was for the Jewish people living outside the city walls of Jerusalem. They had come back from exile. They hadn't really inhabited Jerusalem city. They were encamped, presumably on the plains around Jerusalem, and they had settled into normal everyday life as best they could. They had their homes and businesses and families, and quite a lot of people had felt no particular desire to relocate everything to live within the walls of Jerusalem. But also there was a risk element here. Cities like Jerusalem over the years and centuries were frequently attacked and needed strong walls and a population within to help defend it, as well as run the daily infrastructure. So Nehemiah needed committed volunteers and people willing to step out of their comfort zones. Now you could say that this church is in a similar position. 
we need volunteers and people to step out, step out of their comfort zones. And isn't it great when we saw, those of us who saw the email from Brian Pollard, about all the volunteers coming forward to put their names forward to serve on the CLT? This church is blessed with many people who volunteer on a regular basis and who dedicate and commit themselves to performing so many different roles within the church. But of course, it should be like that, shouldn't it? We shouldn't be Sunday-only Christians, should we? Now, earlier we heard the reading about Jesus calling his disciples. And when Jesus called his disciples, they didn't say... Okay, Jesus, yes, I hear your call. Look, but I'm just going to spend a few months closing down the fishing business. I've then got to sell my fishing boat. I've then got to hang up the nets. Uh, and then I might be in a position to follow you. No. In Luke chapter 5, verse 11, it says, And as soon as they landed, as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. The tax collector, Matthew, on hearing the call of Jesus, didn't respond by saying, oh, just let me finish my accounts and then I've got to hand over the money to the authorities, making sure that I've got a few shekels kept aside for myself, and then I just need to put up the closed until further notice sign on the door, and then I might be in a position to follow you. No, he literally dropped everything and followed Christ. And that's in Luke 9, verse 9. It says, after this, Jesus went out, saw a tax collector by the name of Matthew, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Matthew got up, left everything, and followed him. And yet also there's examples in the Bible where others are less keen. Others want to hold on to their comfort blankets. And we can read about this in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 17 to 27. And there you can read the story of the rich man who asked Jesus what he had to do to follow him. And Jesus said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And what was the response from the rich man? face dropped, his face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He wanted to stay within that comfort zone that his wealth had created for him. He wanted to put himself first and Christ second. Now I'm going to tell you a story about a mule and an ox. For many days an old farmer had been ploughing a very large field with an ox and a mule tied together and he'd been working these animals pretty hard up and down they'd go backwards and forwards pulling the plough it was hard work for the animals and then one evening after the farmer had gone inside and the animals were back in the barn the ox turned to the mule and said let's play sick tomorrow because I need to rest for a while but the old mule said no, look, we need to get the work done, for the season is short. But the ox decided to carry out his little plan and pretended to be sick. So the farmer, fair enough, brought the ox fresh hay and corn and made him comfortable, hoping that the ox would make a speedy recovery. 
and be fit again the next day. And the farmer then carries on ploughing the field just with the mule. And when the mule came in from ploughing and the farmer had gone in for his tea, the ox asked the mule how had he managed without him. Ooh, we didn't get much done, but we made it all right, answered the mule. The ox said, well, what did the old farmer say about me? Nothing, said the mule. So the next day, the ox, thinking he was onto a good thing, decided to play sick again. And at the end of another day of hard ploughing, the mule came in again to the barn, very tired. And the ox said, so, how did it go? The mule said, all right, I guess. But we didn't get much done. Then the ox said, what did the old farmer say about me? The mule replied, he said nothing to me, but he did stop to have a long talk with the butcher. <laughs> when God calls you to help with the work of his kingdom, it's no good playing sick. It's no good saying, no thanks God, I much prefer to stay within my comfort zone. God challenges us, each one of us, to move outside of our comfort zones. And we know Nehemiah was challenged by God to move outside of his comfort zone and also to be used by God to challenge the Jewish exiles who are living outside the Jerusalem walls. Now, Jerusalem being the capital of the country meant that it was right and proper that the seat of government should be there. But the need of the times required special measures should be taken to ensure the residence of an adequate population, for the safekeeping of the buildings and the defence of the city. And all the time, of course, there were irritations of excited and spiteful enemies who tried every means to bulldoze the rising fortifications. There was some danger joining this new population settlement within the walls of Jerusalem. Hence the greater part of the returned Jewish exiles, in order to earn a living as well as secure their own safety, preferred to remain living in the country and the local towns surrounding Jerusalem. <coughs> so we know for a fact that the city of Jerusalem was underpopulated, the housing was still inadequate, safety was still of some concern, and income levels while settling to life within the walls was possibly questionable as well. As Christians, we know a church is made up of a community of believers. It's not just a building. So what parallels can we draw from the challenges that Nehemiah faced compared to our own individual Christian lives and our role within the church and our communities? An American researcher called Paul Wilkes identified 10 common traits amongst what are regarded as possibly excellent churches or excellent congregations. Number one was a vibrancy about living a Christian life. Living on the creative and holy edge of the New Testament. Living a life that acknowledges that being a Christian is not a leisure activity but an adventure. Number two was people within the fellowship that had that entrepreneurial element. 
people within the church who are risk takers, self-starters, people willing to use what works and put aside anything which does not. Number three, drawing people into the church philosophically rather than geographically or denominationally by the spirit of a living and present God. Number four, members willing to reach beyond their comfort zones, not afraid of being uncomfortable and asking tough questions of themselves. Number five, regularly evaluating themselves for effectiveness. Number six, having a clear yet changing sense of mission, a vision of where they want to be and a willingness to redirect energies to be effective in their community and people's lives. Number seven, a willingness to break up and reassemble, to put aside old structures and coalitions and when necessary to move forward. Number eight, unafraid of being vulnerable and making mistakes. Number nine, laity being integral in leadership. And by that, we mean a competence and a desire to serve, the ability to learn, the humility to admit mistakes, and the courage to continue despite setbacks are more important prerequisites for leadership than formal training and ordination. And finally, number 10, preach and practice forgiveness and acceptance. Now, we're fortunate in this church to have members who have many of these traits. But as a church and as in individuals, we might need to examine ourselves a little more closely from time to time and ask God to equip us to undertake his work, even if it means stepping outside of our comfort zones. So if God is calling you, would you be a reluctant volunteer? In Nehemiah 11, verse 1, we read this. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to live in Jerusalem. And in verse two, it says, the people commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Now this word volunteer is an interesting word. In Hebrew, it means to incite, to impel from within. It's about a tremendous urge to do uh, something about the situation. So here we have two groups of people. Number one are the group whose names are chosen by Lot, who are effectively drafted to move into the city. And number two is the group who said, look, we don't have to move into the city, but we're going to do it anyway. We volunteer to do it. So nobody told them, but because they loved Jerusalem, because they loved God, they were willing to sacrifice their homes and all their comforts and move into the city. They were willing to clean away the rubble, callous their hands, build a house, 
and rebuild once again the holy city of God. Those of you who've ever watched uh, Mission Impossible will know that at the beginning of the film, the agent accepts the mission. And perhaps secretly we admire this man and all the risks that go along with it for uh, taking that uh, mission. Because some of us might even envy this man because he's willing to live his life on the edge and seize the adventure. He's willing to take risks so he can be the hero who saves people's lives from the enemy. Truth is, each one of us here today can do the same for the Lord and the people around you in this community. You just have to be willing to take the risk, accept the mission, get out of your comfort zone and really serve the Lord through the adventure of a Christ-filled life. But here's the best bit. It's not mission impossible. With Christ, it's mission possible. Through the saving grace of Jesus, we no longer have to rebuild the walls to protect us from the enemy. Each one of us can have a personal relationship with God. There may be tough times, there may be difficulties. We may feel at times that we can't go on. But God will equip us for the task ahead. There's an old country gospel song that sums this up. Don't worry, Dave, I'm not going to sing it. It's <laughs> just about to phone the noise abatement society. So the words are this. Life is easy when you're up on the mountain and you've got peace of mind like you've never known. But things change when you're down in the valley. Don't lose faith for you're never alone. We talk of faith way up on the mountain, but talk comes easy when life's at its best. And now it's down in the valleys, trials and temptations. That's where your faith is really put to the test. For the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. And the God of the good times is still God in the bad times. The God of the day is still God in the night. I'm convinced that God will equip this community of believers to move forward, to accept the mission possible, to undertake the adventure of serving the risen Christ, our Saviour and Lord. And with God's help, we can walk up from those deep valleys and once again reach the mountain top. If you're dealing with the wreckage of damage within your life, if you feel like an exile living amongst the ruins of your past, God wants to clear away the rubble and rebuild strong walls of faith in your life. He wants to restore you and empower you to truly live for him. So he's provided a powerful example of the character needed to do just that in the person of Nehemiah. Now you may think you're not called to the role of a leader, but Nehemiah is a good role model for us all because we're all called to be leaders in some arena of life. And Nehemiah shows us how a godly leader prays fervently, makes sound decisions, assembles teams, assigns tasks, faces opposition, manages crises, resolves conflicts, confronts setbacks, and celebrates victory. 
Are you ready to rebuild? Whether you're burdened for the broken walls of your own life or the walls of our culture or, or the broken walls within our fellowship, let us look to the book of Nehemiah as a manual for pursuing not just strong walls, but God himself, our fortress and deliverer.